Before we go into the podcast, I want to just talk about a business that I've set up with my friend George. Uh, it is called the Podcast Introduction Group. So if you want to join and be able to be featured on 24 to 48 pods, podcasts to be able to reach an amazing audience, this is the place you need to go to. Podcast being a guest on podcasts is automatically establishing you as an authority and is able to build your personal and professional brand. We handpick of a bank of podcasters that we have to be able to grow your business and brand. We do a hundred percent of everything that needs to be done by my team. You do not need to lift a finger. You are able to expose yourself to new and relevant markets by going on other people's podcasts. You also are able to create brand loyalty. People will love listening to you and coming back to your products or services and it's able to increase your revenue. So if you want to be able to get involved, you can sign up quickly registered with a with an account manager there's an onboarding call where we target the podcasts that you want to be on the type that you want whether it's entrepreneurship business health fitness whatever it is we then match you to those podcasts and you can start your journey we have regular catch-ups with our account managers and google ranks you when people search for you so when people are searching for you you're able to see your podcast at the top of the list. So if you are interested in being a podcast guest on multiple podcasts, we are the place to go. If you go to podcastintroduction.com and go and register your details, we will have an, a, a quick call with you, uh, match your, your podcast that you want to be on, and we can then start this process ASAP. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Back onto the podcast then. Just one last thing before we go into the podcast, I just wanted to talk to you about the fact that I have a YouTube channel that has been going for quite some time and I am recording and releasing all of my interviews with some short videos as well on YouTube. So please do check it out, YouTube on Absolute Business Mindset. You'll see a bunch of interviews there, all the longer format interviews and some short videos as well. So please enjoy that. And here goes with the podcast interview. This is the Absolute Business Mindset podcast, created and hosted by Mark Hayward. This podcast will interview entrepreneurs, business owners, and people in their careers. We will delve into their journey to success, key life milestones, and go deep into their area of expertise. Get ready to learn from other successes and failures. Today, we have Mark Willis, who is a certified financial planner. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on, Mark. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. We're going to have a lot of fun here. Um, right, going into the first question, which I'm now asking all of my guests, the podcast is called Absolute Business Mindset. What does business mindset mean to you? Well, I, I believe that the business of your mind is probably the most important thing that you do all day long. In fact, it doesn't matter what your business card says or what you have on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, what's mattering most, I think, is what it's making of you to go through the process of being a business owner or a business partner. Because the the at the end of life, it's not what you've accumulated, even though I'm a certified financial planner. And sure, we're going to talk about financial strategies and so forth. It's what it makes of you that really matters. It's not what you make in life. It's what it makes of you that really matters. 
And so what is it helping you become your business? What is it allowing you to achieve? Who is it making as you make your business? So I know it's a little bit of a scuba diving answer there, a little deep for the very start of the episode, but I truly believe the biggest adventure of life as an adult, uh, you know, we don't have maybe castles to conquer like little kids uh, in the sand anymore. Uh, We don't have dragons to slay or whatever, but we have this wonderful, joyful adventure called business ownership that if you take it like a game, like take it like a, a, a opportunity for an in uh, development, then many wonderful things can come as a result. If we see it as more than just, you know, points on the board, dollars or, you know, pounds in the bank. And, and given that outcome of what is it making of you, you'll make a great life no matter what the results of your business. Fantastic. Thank you. That's one of the best answers I've, I've ever had for that question. So thank you. Um, jumping into your first job, you, you did a sales job as your very first role. Um, what did you learn from, from that role? Sales? Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll share that it was at first uh, just a really, uh, I mean, I think sales is something that every role is. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in sales, no matter what the job title uh, you're selling your boss to keep your job at the hamburger shop. You know, you're selling your, um, you know, lemonade on the lemonade stand. So for me, I, I think you learn a lot about personal development and confidence. Uh, you learn the ability to face rejection and overcome that and to find, you know, value in yourself beyond what maybe other people might say or think about your particular product or service that you're offering. Uh, and you just learn the, the, the skills of life to maneuver. In fact, I think you relearn them. Children seem to understand sales. My five-year-old uh, certainly understands sales. <laughs> and, my, uh, it's, it's interesting you say that my eight-year-old uh, understands negotiations better than probably most businessmen on this planet. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. They, they don't take no for an answer for sure. Uh, and it's, it's, so it's, it's just a, uh, I think, a skill set that no matter where you are, if you're listening to this podcast, um, you're very likely on the path toward business success and, you know, having a concept of sales negotiation, uh, you know, personal development, it's going to be key to helping you succeed in your business. Thank you. Um, and before we go into late growth financial services, you spent eight years as a consultant and a coach, um, your development as from sales into coaching and consultancy, was that a natural progression? Did you feel like that was a natural path before you went into the financial planning? Well, yeah, I think I think many people start from the other side of it, come at it with spread uh, spreadsheets and data to decide, you know, what Monte Carlo scenario we're going to run to perform the best possible income scenario for one's retirement. That's a perfectly legitimate way to enter into this universe of financial planning, and rightfully so. But any computer can run those simulations. I think what truly brings um, power is the personal financial planning. Starts with the word personal. So what are the what are the dreams, hopes, goals, desires, concerns, fears of the person sitting across the table from me or over Zoom? You know, we meet with folks all over all over the country and even in across the world, and we do it over Zoom mostly. And we're having one-on-one advisory consultations with folks not just about how their IRA or their 401k or their pension is doing, but about how, how, it's, um, how it's doing for them. 
and, and what that's actually, oh, making them feel. What are their experiences of the recent world conflict, the recent world pandemic, uh, uncertainty? This does things to marriages. It does things to your parenting. It does things to your you know, waistline and your bottom line. Uh, all these things have a impact on your on your personal life. It's personal financial planning, Mark. And and actually, an interesting study came out in California. They did a study on the volatility of the stock market relative to how many people showed up with uh, heart conditions at the hospital. And there was a, a result that there's a direct correlation. Now they couldn't put causation in there, but there's a correlation between a 10% drop in the stocks and bonds market and a 35% rise in heart attacks and other heart conditions. Now, isn't that interesting? Yes. Isn't that interesting? So your health and your wealth are directly related. I would also add that your emotions and your marriage and your personal friendships and your personal view of your self-esteem, when you lose money in the market, you start to say things to yourself. Mm. You know, I had my, one of my first roles in the financial world was working alongside a CPA and we were working amidst the 2008 crash. And mainly my role was to help with tax prep and everything uh, and to just get the documents ready for the CPA. But I would overhear her make calls and these calls would include 63-year-olds, 65-year-olds saying things to them like, I'm sorry, Mr. Client, I know you saved for 25 years, but I just lost you half your life savings. And that devastates a person. And I almost got out of the business, out of the industry, because I couldn't handle that kind of weight on my shoulders. Thankfully, we found other strategies that didn't rely on the stock market to you know, perform in order for goals to be accomplished. But the key piece to it is if your self-worth and your view of yourself is tied to a number on a screen, the Dow Jones or whatever, uh, it's going to be a very fickle, very stressful couple of decades for you. Um, I'd not heard that sort of research, but it doesn't surprise me that people's health suffers in depressions and recessions. And it sounds to me when I was doing my research, it sounded to me that that 200, uh, 200, that 2008 experience that you had was, was really a, a mindset shift for you on what you wanted to do and how you wanted to do it and, and, and the strategies that you were going to use. I know you've touched on it already, but what, what, what was that turning point in your mind that changed how you were doing things and why you were doing things in 2008? Well, I had a really wonderful friend and a former professor come visit me uh, from Texas to Chicago, where I was living at the time. And he asked me a couple of open-ended questions that got me thinking critically about where my money was going and what it was doing. And it's, it's a great, you know, coaching is such a great uh, skill set. And I know you're very um, skilled and very familiar with the skill set of coaching. One of the words that he taught me as a coach himself was the word eduction. And the word eduction is from Latin to educe or to draw out uh, what is latent or potent, the potential within. Uh, and I think the word potential is a very powerful English word. Uh, potential just means to take, the, take and make the most advantage of the asset that you have. And that can be a financial asset, but it can be a personal asset as well. And so what he did in that moment was he helped me sort of understand 
that there was something inside me that was greater and better than just relying on the average advice of CNN money and the financial infotainers on the radio and so forth to tell me to put my money in the stock market, to put it into a tax deferred 401k, or as I call them, a ticking tax time bomb. Uh, there's a a long like history, a wonderful history of people asking deep, relevant, and insightful, penetrating questions that activate the potential of another person. And I think that's a really wonderful uh, definition of how coaching has worked for me. And it's now what I try to do with our clients uh, across the country. We just ask deep, hopefully helpful, trust-building, insightful questions that help people find out what they truly want. Uh, Because honestly, Mark, I think many people live their entire financial life just following what they've been told. Their money guru told them to get the Roth IRA. Their money guru told them to pay down their mortgage. Their money guru told them to dot, dot, dot. But they don't necessarily stop and think, is this what I truly want my money to do for me? And you know the 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 bold maybe polarizing opinion here is that um, not everybody should follow the exact same financial advice that you heard on the radio, and in fact, it could be devastating if you do. And if you follow the herd, you'll get slaughtered. That's a good Texas quote. Um, but if you follow the herd, you will get slaughtered. And we're going to see more volatility in the years ahead. But if you learn to look within and begin to ask deep, penetrating questions, it's great to have a coach but you can do it yourself. Um, here's, here's a quick homework, fun little uh, thought exercise. Just grab a paper or you know, grab a, a journal entry and just start writing out what are the perfect characteristics of money? Like if you could create for yourself the perfect financial vehicle where it would do everything you ever wanted to and ever dreamed it could do for you. If you were totally the boss of your money, what would it be doing for you today? Money's too often the boss of us. It bosses us around. You know, the average American spends a good chunk of their day just paying for debts, just slaves to the to the bank. That's being uh, slaves to your money. If you were the boss of money, what would it be doing for you? Would it be tax-free when you access the money? Would it be always available to you? Would it be forever growing without fault or without fail? Uh, would it be, you know, private and outside of, you know, courts trying to get access to it? Um, these are things that you could start asking yourself. Don't worry about labels, you know, don't worry about the names of the money for now. For now, just think out, think wild, think free. What is it you want your money doing for you? These are sort of the questions that we like to try to ask our clients to help coach them and to bring them to an awareness of what is latent or potential within them. So a couple of things are coming coming from speaking to you. And one is um that money is neutral, money Money has no has no ambition. It's the people who own the money that have the desire, the ambition. So, so if you're a good person and you have money, you'll do good things with money. If you're a bad person with money, you'll do bad things or or not for 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 not for good. So, money actually is always neutral, and it's only on the the beholder, the person who holds it, that what they do, good or bad. So. I totally get that. And I, 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 I think that's just something I wanted to clarify with people because it's what other people have, I've heard speak about influencers and things, but it is quite important to understand it doesn't define you money. You define yourself with or without money. The other thing that's springing to mind is 
So I have a contrarian view of stocks and shares and, and investments. And, and you do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. Because, it, 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 like for example, if you're in a recession, that's the time to buy shares because they're at their lowest point and invariably it bounces back if you so, and, and, and vice versa. So mm-hmm. that's, that for me is something that I've done a lot of research. I've done a lot of reading, listening, and that for me, that contrarian view is, and that's what I look for investors. When I, I, I created, we have a, a mechanism to save money tax-free in the, in the UK called ISAs. And that was one of the things that I wanted my ISA to be a contrarian investor. So is contrarian common sense that no one else uses, or is it is it is it the is it the golden nugget which no not enough people talk about? Well, you bring up some great points, and I'll just mention uh, that I totally agree with you that you know money just makes you more of who you already are. It just accelerates your internal values and puts them on full display for the world. Uh, so if you're a great person, you're going to do wonderful things for the world. If you're a jerk and you get money, you're just going to be a great big jerk. <laughs> so I totally agree with you there. <clears throat> when it comes to contrarian, this is a very difficult conversation because what kind of contrarian and what is the opposite of a certain action? It's not always buy or sell, for example. Uh, so you know it's really tough to know the the future uh, when you're stuck in the present. And just because something is, is just because the herd is going this direction doesn't mean that there's not a bear trap in the other direction. Maybe there's a cliff over here and a bear trap over there. And so it's really helpful to be discerning uh, about um, what it is that we're saying no to and have an affirmative to move toward the, the, the direction, have a, a purpose statement for whatever action you took. Um, and, and that's a hard thing to do because um, one purpose is to simply look in the opposite direction. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if, if you just look in the, in the opposite direction, it sometimes can, you know, you can get run over by the crowd <laughs> or there might be another, you know, disaster waiting for you over there. So as Niels Bohr used to say, uh, prediction is very difficult, especially when it involves the future, <laughs> which is all the time. Yeah, so, um, p- the piece to this is having some sort of purpose. Uh, and underlying desire, per- personal investment, financial statement for yourself. Uh, I'm not talking about like a balance sheet statement. I'm talking about a personal financial purpose sentence or phrase um, to say, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And to start with that why with every choice you make, whether it's to pay off a credit card or to invest in a certain stock or to avoid the stock market altogether, to have that personal purpose money statement. Uh, and, and again, you can do some thought on this, sit down with a coach and talk about this, but it would impact everything from your estate plan to your investing, to your overall, you know, what you're going to eat for dinner tonight. Uh, right. If you're going to, if you're going to eat out or going to make your own food. So an example of this, and this doesn't have to be everyone's, but you know, I heard in one conversation, a, a financial purpose statement might be something like abundant time, energy, and attention for uh, my mostly my family, like so abundant time, energy, attention for family, mainly outside serving community. That's a financial purpose statement. So abundant time, energy, and attention with my family, mainly outside serving community. Couldn't you build a investment uh, diagnosis around that? If you invested in a stock that didn't 
point you toward that direction of abundant time, energy, and attention um, with your family, mainly outside serving community, you'd be able to kind of backpedal a little bit and think about what it is um, that you need to put your money toward. Uh, so that's kind of, again, vague uh, because I can't give direct investment advice on the podcast, but I totally agree with you that having uh, looking for when the, uh, the investing most when blood's in the streets, as they used to say, uh, can really help put you in the right frame of mind to get out of the the herd mentality and to think carefully about where your money should be going, thinking directly about like what is important about this decision I'm making and making that decision with purpose. That was the word I was you you you, you got the the word I was going to use purpose. That's that's I've never thought of an investment strategy to be purposeful in that type of way that's that's been that's really an interesting explanation so just to give you um so thank you for that um just to give you a sort of uh wider context talk me through all of the areas that late growth financial services covers we've talked about investment we've talked about retirement but what what are the other areas that you are involved in well you know late growth financial services is a financial firm that covers the soup to nuts, what we're looking for, what many of our clients are looking for in their financial life. Uh, First of all, we um, protect your money. We grow your money. Uh, We help ensure that your money is tax efficient. We make sure that the money is available, not just locked up, but available for all the goals in your life, both now and in the future. And we make sure that that money and your wealth is passed on favorably to people you care about. And we don't just prepare money for your beneficiaries and your heirs, but we prepare, uh, we prepare the beneficiaries and your heirs for the money. And we want to make sure that they're not just, you know, silver spoon rich kids that are going to blow it, but we're trying to help learn to communicate between the previous generation and the new generation. There's the old phrase, uh, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves and three generations. Mark, you may have heard that phrase. Yeah. Uh, in Italy, they say stalls to stars to stalls again. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's so uh, universal that there's a colloquial phrase for this same concept in about a dozen different cultures. And it's the idea that we cannot seem to get past the business owner, the founder, the visionary, the wealth creator is passing his or her wealth on to the manager, okay, the maintainer, and then the grandchild is the spendthrift and back down to poverty we go. Now, part of our goal, again, is to grow, protect, make tax efficient, make accessible all of your cash for all the goals and needs you have in life. And then finally, to pass that money on, that wealth on to the next generation without it getting blown. So how do you you pass that knowledge on? What do you, so do you provide a service of education for that next generation? How do you, it's a very interesting concept. That's not something financial planners often delve into. A lot of the protection and tax efficiency, that's all rings true on people I know and networking and, and, and people on my podcast. But how do you pass that knowledge on? How do you educate that next generation? I think, again, it started with the coaching question you asked earlier. We can talk about you know, charitable remainder trusts and fairly, fairly sophisticated dynastic you know, trusts. We can talk about life insurance. We can talk about rollover strategies, real estate and step-up basis strategies that we do with uh, clients uh, over the phone and over Zoom. Uh, but it also comes down to what is it that the Hayward family truly stands for? Or in, in your listener's case, what is your wealth mean for you and your family? 
we've had folks sit down in a room. We've done this virtually over Zoom. We've done this over a dinner table as well. And we sit down and have conversations with the client where the mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, you know, the matriarch, patriarch of the whole family sits down and says, kids, I never want to see you borrow money for a car or, you know, a student loan ever again. You come to the bank of mom and dad and here's what it means to be a Hayward. Here's what it means to be a Willis. Here's what it means to be fill in the blank. And some, some families have even made little um, dinner, uh, like dinner mats uh, where they eat every night and their last name is spelled on the dinner mat. And for every letter of your last name stands for a value or a principle that you truly stand for, that you believe in. So H-A-Y-W-A-R-D, each letter of your last name would be corresponding to, you know, health might be the H, for example. A might be accumulation or, you know, or uh, affirmative or, you know, you'd get to decide what those values meant for you. And then you bring that into the conversation. You know, there's a big study of over 2,500 ultra high net worth individuals. And, and they, they did a study on the, the, the reasons why uh, wealth wasn't being passed on to the next generation. And, you know, 70% of families are not able to get it to the next generation of the ultra high net worth, 70%. Of that 70%, 60% of the problem, in other words, 60% of that overall 70% failure rate was coming from a lack of communication. They, the parents didn't trust that the kids could handle the information mm-hmm. about this massive amount of wealth they're about to receive. So there was no communication of values or even an awareness. You know, kids might realize that their moms and dads are wealthy, but they don't know what it means or what that is going to do for them. And they usually find out when the will is being read. Mm-hmm. And typically, what do you do when you get 10 million bucks or 100 million bucks? You, you blow it on flat screens and Maseratis and, you know, whatever, private islands, whatever. Uh, and at the end of the day, was, was it all worth it? You know, the, the, the sweat, the blood, the tears of the founders, the mom and dads, was it worth it just to see it blown? Um, and some unfortunate children actually take their lives as a result of uh, receiving that kind of an inheritance. So, so I think it really does matter, the communication that you bring. And so what we try to do is we have Zoom meetings. Uh, we get the whole family together over Zoom and we have a discussion about values and what the wealth has meant to mom and dad and what it's going to be for the beneficiaries. And the beneficiaries are aware of and ready for their responsibility. If they're going to be the medical power of attorney for mom or dad, they need to know what mom and dad's wishes are should they come across a medical event, for example. And these are the sort of conversations we have. It's not the same as how's, how's your mutual fund doing? You know, mm-hmm. Less than 5% of wealth is lost due to market volatility. At that point in the ultra high net worth conversation, it's it's not going to be, unless you follow the next Bernie Madoff or the next uh, Enron or something, mm-hmm. you're not going to lose your wealth at that point. Uh, the real wealth is lost through lack of communication. We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below.
Thank you. I think that's a really powerful point and something which differentiates you within the market of being able to do that. So um, I think that's a really valuable service that you provide. Um, another, I think it's quite a tough question and uh, it's very, um, can bring in very deep emotions with people. But do you think tax is a moral issue? Oh, that's a great question. Can you give me just a bit more context to your question? Well, we had some issues in the UK where people um, a few years back, some footballers, uh, some soccer players, some some celebrities um, made tax efficient uh, decisions on their money. And it was a huge blow up a few years back where people were deemed to be uh, making bad decisions because they weren't paying the fair amount of tax. Now, now, that's that's so that that's the question that I want. Do you think being tax efficient is actually a question that is actually down to should I pay the right amount of tax or should I pay the fullest amount of tax? And so, what you find when interviewing and when talking to people who are high net worth individuals, they see tax as I pay as much as I need to or what is right for me to pay, and I pay no more. But some people feel that actually you should pay the maximum amount of tax and it's your responsibility. So I ask morality in the sense of should we pay the most amount of tax that we should or is there is it not a moral issue and we should just pay the amount of tax that we have to or it's right to make? No, no one is stopping all the people who make that moral argument from sending in more money than they are due. Uh, in fact, I typically, anecdotally, I see the people who make that argument uh, are typically getting a tax refund uh, and other subsidies. Uh, and you know the the statistics are clear. Uh, there's a significant tax need in both of our countries. Both of our countries have uh, slightly we're we're seeing an aging population, uh, and the the old age pensions, uh, so like Social Security, are going to require more and more to keep them well funded, uh, and I'd like to know the definition of the word fair or right here as well. Uh, in feudal England, a long time ago, uh, you, you could, I don't want to, you, you correct me if I'm wrong here. This is your expertise, not mine. But the uh, tax rate from the lords to the serfs was 25%. That's what it meant to be a serf was a 25% tax on your harvest and all your efforts was 25%. Mark, I don't know your financial situation, but would you like to have no more taken from you than just 25%? I'd be okay with that at this point. It's better than we have at this time. That's right. Well, I add my federal federal and my I live in Illinois, so there's a state tax and then we got a local tax. It can exceed 50, even 60%. And in the um, grand scheme of things, we are actually in a low tax environment currently right now uh, in this time that we're talking. Um, relative to the last hundred years in the United States, um, the the marginal brackets uh, top out at about thirty seven percent. We've seen them as high as ninety percent in the fifties. Now ninety percent is unbearably high, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but I still want my, you know, I still, you know, see potholes in the street that need to be filled. I still see teachers that need to be paid and so forth. But I just, I, I guess, I'm curious. You know, like does does the ultra wealthy, and I'm I'm not speaking for them. I have very very, um, uh, I'd say just 
your average Joes and not so average Joes that work with us, people who are not making a ton and are just trying to figure out how to help their kids go to college and so forth, just paying the uh, the bills and so forth. We've got very high, very you know wealthy folks working for us, all the same. And what I what I notice is there's a reason why they got so wealthy. And like I see a lot of people um, downplaying the guys like your uh, Jeff Bezos and such. Like, hey, how come he hasn't paid 100% of his taxes and so forth? And again, I'm, I'm not um, going to play too much on morality, but uh, what I am surprised by is how much I use Amazon and how much of a social benefit that has been for me uh, in the midst of everything else. So can we, can, we, can, can we agree that sometimes paying your taxes is just kind of the lowest common denominator for your contribution to society? Um, for example, you get a ton of tax breaks when you're doing real estate investing in the United States, maybe in the UK as well. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by how the real estate investing is doing what the government would have had to have done anyway. But when we align ourselves with the interests of the government, i.e. give housing to people, when we do what the government was going to have to do anyway, the government's willing to give us a break on our taxes. So if we dance to the government's song, if we play their game, we should be able to get deductions. And that's what the wealthy are doing. And that's what you, you know, the the average person, you and I maybe didn't get taught as a kid growing up. I didn't get taught that, that if I invest in real estate, if I uh, contribute and start a business, if I employ people, government wants jobs, government wants housing. And if, if they're not going to do it, if it's not going to be a center run kind of government run economy, but it's going to be a private economy, then they should incentivize the people who are contributing to their ends, housing, jobs, et cetera, um, in the way of tax deductions. So anyway, I'm off my soapbox. Uh, I don't I don't play the morality card too much, but just think about what is the end goal of the government's taxation. And I'll just lastly ramble on with this and I'll keep it brief. Why do they need our taxes? I don't know about the UK, but the government in the United States can print endless amounts of money. So why do they need to collect taxes in the first place? If they can just make infinite, they can't make infinite, um, you know, trees. They can't make infinite amounts of oil. They can't make infinite amounts of gold, but they can print infinite infinite amounts of money, Mark. Why do they even tax us at all? Here's my answer. Here's my guess. This is way above my pay grade, but it's manipulation. And that's not a, that's a negative word. But again, they want to incentivize us to build housing you know, to create businesses that produce jobs. And so taxation is a form of social control. That's another negative word, but it's also a a means by which you can play their game and have a tremendous tax break and be efficient. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to be efficient with their money. If you would like to pay more in taxes, give me a call. I've got a tax bill coming up and I would be (laughs) glad to take your donations at this time. Excellent. Thank you for that. That's a, a good uh, explanation. Um, so a lot of my listeners, including my and myself, is, is an entrepreneur. And so when I was doing some research, a phrase came up. I want you just to expand on that. And you say, how can an entrepreneur fire the bank or banker and become their own source of financing? Can you explain what you mean by that statement? Well, we have, uh, I know I've already rambled quite a bit, but uh, I think this is such a huge part of your financial life. So I have to expound on this a bit. Banking is uh, a verb. Banks are nouns. 
So banks are the problem. Banking is the solution. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, Now, there's a book out by David Graeber. It's called Debt the First 5,000 Years. 5,000 years. That's an incredible subtitle right there. Uh, and, And it goes to show that banking is a core function of the human experience. It's as old as friendship. It's as old as parenting, apparently. Banking is going to be around long after the iPhone, long after um, you know smart car- smartphones and everything. It's going to be around until humans are gone, basically. So we have to ask ourselves, how are we participating in the banking process? Because I don't care if you're if your I don't care if your business is selling bananas on the on the side of the road or if your business is you know selling cars or whatever or running a very complex service industry, you are in the banking business regardless. So the question really is who's sitting behind the banker's desk? Is it you or is it some banker? And I would suppose that whoever is sitting behind the banker's desk in your life is going to win the money game. It matters more who the banker is than what you got on your um, investments last quarter. It matters more than what your interest rate is on your mortgage. What matters most is who's controlling the banking function in your life. If banks are controlling the banking function, they're going to win. It's like the environment that the fish is swimming in. If if I, I have a little fish, I, my daughter and I are trying to keep this little fish alive out there, and we get to control the environment. We get to add certain you know, elements to control the acidity of the water, the temperature, the lighting. Um, we clean the fish tank. If we wanted to, we could certainly make that life for that little fish miserable or wonderful, depending. We control it. And banks are certainly the ones that control the dials on our financial life. So what if you could become your own source of financing? What if you could become your own banker, fire your banker, and take back control of the banking function in your family's life? or your business's life. Uh, We have a lot of clients that are business owners and a lot of them have to buy large equipment. You know, we have a a foot doctor, a podiatrist that needs large equipment purchases and and x-rays and so forth uh, to be able to handle his business. Rather than using a line of credit at the bank, which can be taken away from him, uh, he uses his own line of credit for himself, borrows against himself, pays himself an interest rate, and he's able to be profitable from the business in more ways than one, not just taking client, you know, patient money and so forth and, and being profitable in that regard, but by paying himself an interest, he's actually paying himself as a debtor to a creditor uh, in a way that allows him to control the entire environment where his money lives and where his business uh, lives. He was going to have to buy that x-ray machine anyway. So why not borrow it from himself? and pay himself that interest rate. Well, there's some specific strategies on how we do that, but that's the overall concept, Mark. Fascinating. I've not heard of that as a, as a, well, I've heard of people are doing it with their pension funds in the UK. They're actually creating their own bank as such and, and lending the money to buy real estate and, uh, and, and various other sort of uh, business opportunities. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting uh, point. Okay. Um, what do you see in the yourself and your business in the next two to five years? We'll be back after a quick break. 
Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Well, what if just 10% of Americans or Londoners or folks in, in your neck of the woods, wherever you're listening to this, what if just 10% were able to fire their banker and become their own source of financing. They were able to cut out all the credit cards, the finance companies, the mortgages, and pay themselves the interest that they were currently throwing out the door. What would that do? What would that do to our nation's divorce rate, to our nation's um, suicide rate? What would it do to our nation's capacity to meet its financial obligations? If you were not in debt up to your eyeballs, If the 10% of Americans or uh, folks in your neck of the woods are are free financially, I'd love to see what that would do. And now that's not going to just come from me and myself alone. Certainly not. I'm a part of a a organization called Bank on Yourself, which is about 200 financial professionals around the country and Canada that are working toward helping people become their own source of financing. And I've truly become convinced that Again, who controls the banking lever in your life is going to be the one that determines the outcome. And me, along with the several hundred other advisors, are helping this happen, uh, where we're helping people family by family become not only debt-free, but better than debt-free to become the bank. Uh, So that's what I see happening, continuing to pursue that revolution, uh, one family, one person at a time. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, we're coming to the end of the interview. I ask the same six questions to all of my guests. They're quick fire questions. They don't need a quick fire answer. They're often being described as being thought provoking. So do with it what you will. Uh, first question is what's the best decision that you made? Um, well, I think having the having a moment when my professor and friend asked me, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? Dave Ramsey is a radio host who seems to know everything or so shows himself to know everything. But he, my friend and colleague, he, he gave me a question that cracked open my closed mind. And I guess as, best as far as best financial decision, that would be it. As far as overall decision, um, well, uh, my wife is sitting just upstairs. So I'd say that's got to be one of them. She helps push me toward a better version of myself every day. Um, so hopefully uh, we'll keep that journey up. Fantastic. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Mm. Oh man, I, I think the, the you know, one of the best pieces of advice has been the the commitment to just self improvement. Uh, somebody once said, "Work harder on yourself than you do on your job," and that to me has been at least one of the best pieces of advice to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Excellent. Who's helped you most in your career? <clears throat> There's several. I mean. People I attribute the changing of our family tree to a wonderful, amazing woman named Pamela Yellen. She wrote the book, Bank on Yourself Revolution. So I recommend folks check that book out. 
It's a New York Times bestselling book. She's become a great friend and colleague. Uh, there's too many people to count, Mark, as you know, but um, you know, just the just the few people that come to my mind include her as far as a career decision for sure. Do you have any regrets? Uh, well, I think the 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 thing I'd like on my tombstone is he was getting better at this. I think that'd be a great thing to say. Um, he was getting better at this, but as far as regrets go, it's when you, it's not so much like what you um, did do that I think create regret. I think it's what you left undone that create the most regret according to some research on this. Um, and this is, this is something that I'm I'm still pursuing, but I really think it's the things that we know we should do, but choose not to do. We, we push away our conscience and decide not to call that person that we need to forgive or decide not to um, uh, pursue that, that personal dream that we've always wanted to do. Um, I think over the last two years, we've all had a few maybe vacations taken from mm-hmm. our itineraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I think part of that is just, Hey, can we, can we take a chance and do what we, you know, only have so much time on this side of heaven to do. We might as well go take the most of it and create the most potential. I think that's to, to wrap this one up. Um, the word potential again is a very important word for me. And it's great when you're a young kid, Oh man, you know, Mark Hayward, he's got such potential. Uh, but it's not so great when I might have it on my tombstone. Oh man, Mark had such potential. Uh, so you really want to activate your potential to avoid the regrets, figure out what your potential is and then avoid those regrets. Amazing. Thank you. What are you most proud of? Uh, you know, I think again, I, it's hard to point down to pull it down to like what I'm most proud of, but one of the things I'm most proud of certainly is what I see happening in the life and heart and mind of my little daughter. It's so cool to see, you know, the, the blend of values that we're trying to instill in her along with an awareness of my money. When I was a five-year-old, you know, basically I had my money in a paper bag and uh, I wasn't going to let go of that thing, you know, for whatever, you know, I, you know, my mom actually took me to a bank to open up a bank account. And I was concerned about giving all of my life savings to this total stranger. Uh, Mm -hmm. Little did I know how like probably right on that five-year-old's concern was (laughs) as far as the safety of your money in a bank account. Yeah. Um, what I've learned lately about that. But, you know, I think one thing that I would say most proud of is what my wife is doing to help raise and train my daughter, what I'm trying to do, failingly, of course, uh, seeing how she's able to sort of comprehend things um, and uh, hopefully give her the best shot toward the future. I mean, that's that's what we can all hope to do as parents. Yeah. And what does legacy mean to you? Wow. Uh, these are thought-provoking questions. <laughs> I, again, I'd say it's not just about preparing the money for the people. It's about preparing the people for the money. And yes, we want to stockpile whatever, but at the same time, I don't need to like forego the vacation or the country club or the sports car um, just so I can die and then give it to my kids so they can go get the vacation, the country club and the sports car, you know, um, let's, Let's die with zero if we can help it. Uh, I'd be amazing to be able to do that because during your lifetime, you gave it all away, not because you spent it on frivolous stuff, 
but you got to see the mission you had in life actualized. Man, what a cool way to live a legacy, to live a legacy, and then to point your children or favorite charities toward the legacy that you want to get them to uh, themselves. What do you have? Do you have the sports car? Do you have the vacations or do you have the uh, country club? <laughs> well, I, I think I, I, if I had to pick one, man, uh, the experiences of the vacations would be my favorite. But uh, because, you know, I think, I think at the end of life, and I think it was actually a Downton Abbey character that said this, uh, the butler, I forget his name, uh, but he said, life is just the accumulation of memories. And yeah. um, I think that's a great way to sort of do what you can while you have the time here and then to do it with people you love and watch what they do with it. Take it from Amazing. there. Um, and where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? We have a podcast ourselves. If you love listening, not your average financial podcast. Uh, we we went a little deeper than your average bear here today, Mark. So, uh, you know, forgive me guys for bringing the scuba, scuba gear. Most of our episodes get into some tactical strategies for financial planning, uh, but we do you know, believe in the the person behind the money as well. So go to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. That's uh, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's it's so fascinating to speak to someone who you're you're obviously a deep thinker and uh and a very moral person and having your view on that whole purpose of your money has really rung true to me. So I've learned something today. So thank you very much for your time. And a great question asker. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate your time. Yes.